This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Sunday, the 11th of July, 2021. A day, hopefully, that will be etched into the memories, into the history books for England fans for generations to come. Not since, well, you know when, have England been in a position like this. On the verge of glory, on the verge of picking up a trophy, on the verge of writing themselves into history. It's a lot to take in and really not something I ever thought I would see. I mean, I've put on... Facebook, Twitter, all the usual social media places. Sort of my story of following England. I don't need to go through it again other than the fact that I remember the European Championships of 1988. I remember Italia 90. I remember Euro 96. My journey following England actually being there started at Euro 96. And here I am. 120 games, I believe it is, later about to witness England in a final. Gareth Southgate has taken us through this tournament to the final. Uh, It's hard to really put into words. I mean, I came away from the the Denmark game still in a daze. and, And in truth, I think I still am in a bit of a daze. We all are. Italy are the opponents, I've said before, don't take them lightly. The job isn't done until we pick up that trophy. So as per all the other podcasts I've done throughout this tournament, I'm going to try and give you a flavour of what it's like to be there. The sounds, the smells, the feelings, the emotions. My ticket came through, no problems this time, thank you very much. And then, hopefully, regardless of the result, hopefully we can catch up with... Some of our bloggers that have joined me over these past, it's basically been a month, hasn't it? And hopefully we can have a uh, just like a a round the table chat, virtual round the table as we still have to do. And we'll dissect it all. But yeah, that's that's still to come. I'm going to go and catch my train, get something to eat, have a few beers, try and calm the nerves. This morning I've tried my hardest to keep myself occupied be it tidying up, be it the washing up, be it playing some ridiculous game with my daughter, just to keep my mind occupied. But now is the time to get match ready, to get prepared, to get going, to put a cap on this fabulous journey, to end it on a high. Come on, England. Come on. Uh, Wembley Way. We are, we've made it on a uh, quite a busy train journey. It is 
20 past five, kickoff is what? Three and a half hours away. People are either coming or going. They come down to sample the atmosphere and leaving, or they're making their way towards the ground. Place is an absolute nightmare. Beer cans, bottles everywhere on the floor. Smoking the air, someone's got a, uh, a flare, red flare. Everyone's got cameras up, trying to take it all in. Loads of flags along the sides. Busy. I think the main thing is probably just get through the cordon and get, get in, get past everyone who doesn't have a ticket. Made it through the, uh, the ticket barriers. Never been like this before. Wembley Way, I have never experienced it like this before. So close to the start of a game. Even now, looking down on Wembley Way, there are thousands of people. And there are a lot of chances trying to get through the ticket barriers, getting turned away for whatever reason, I don't know. Oh, Wembley Way, seriously, I've never seen it like that before. There's glass, smashed glass on the floor, so many cans, empty cans, so many cardboard boxes. The floor, I mean, I've been to some ropey nightclubs in my time, but Wembley Way was quite possibly one of the stickiest concrete carpets I've ever experienced. I'm only just wiping that stickiness and probably shards of glass out of the bottom of my shoes. That was it's certainly not that. It's certainly not like that against uh, Lithuania at home or Montenegro at home. It's quite the occasion. As I say, there is a lot of people who don't have tickets here. Getting off of Wembley Park Station took a long time. But now we are, we're walking up now and it's, it's less crowded. And it's now quarter to six. So two and a quarter hours before kickoff. I'm quite glad that we got here early. Now to take in some of the atmosphere. And we've just seen the team coach arrive, come through underneath the stadium. Huge cheer as it went through. Loads of people standing down the bottom. Flags. Loads of police just pressing people back. But the team are here. So am I. Let's go in. I don't know if you can hear this. Well, the closing ceremony, loads of things going on. There's a huge trophy in the middle of the pitch. Red arrows have just come over. Loads of pyrotechnics. When the red arrows came over, huge cheer. They are such an iconic British-English institution, the red arrows. Amazing.
Oh, half time, who saw that coming? Two, three minutes in, Luke Shaw on the volley from the, uh, from the edge of the corner of the six yard box. Unbelievable. My heart, seriously, 150 beats a minute when that went in. And thereafter, didn't see that coming so soon. I mean, from there on, we have been the better team 100%. Harry Maguire, absolutely superb. Calvin Phillips, dictating everything. England, dictating the pace of the game. Totally deserve to be 1-0 up. Italy haven't really done anything yet. Pickford's had one save to make. Absolutely amazing things when that went in. The second time in succession, we go to extra time. Game of two halves. We dominated that first half and just fell apart in the second half. Tired legs weren't at the races in the second half. Italy dominated. How that's managed to happen, I've no idea. We need to have a change so we can go forward. Provide something and it's not happening. What wise words has Gareth Southgate got? Oh, yeah. Come on, he's. come on! Penalties it is. Come on! Ladies and gentlemen, to determine the winners of the UEFA Euro 2020 final, there will now be a penalty shootout. Oh, dear. It's too much. It's too much. Well, 
I think it's going to take us a little while to get all over this. Penalties, always the most cruelest of ways to end a game. And don't we as England fans know it? But I can't just leave it there. Throughout the tournament, I've been joined by some England bloggers and I thought, well, let's just have a chat. Um, maybe not dissect it all, but we'll just have a, a chat and see where it goes. So I'm delighted to welcome back Dom Smith, Matt Asprey and Aidan Smith. Hello, guys. How are we all? Evening. Hi, up. How are we doing? Yeah, all good. Let's just mull through it. Go on, give us, give us a, a quick um, sentence, Matt. Drained, gutted, devastated. Yeah, I, I was before we uh, started recording. I was just saying I've only just recovered from what happened on Sunday night. Obviously. Me and you were both there, Russell. I think you were in a similar position to me after the game. You just don't know what to say. I mean, I'm just gutted and devastated after the ride we've been on. And then it's to end like that. It's the cruelest way possible. Aidan? Yeah, it's a bit raw at the moment. But um, I think once once we get past that, we'll be able to look back on it and kind of appreciate how much of a brilliant summer it was. We broke down so many barriers as a team. As a nation, we all got behind the team, which uh, feels like it only really happens at the tournaments these days, we uh, we argue and argue. And then once the tournament comes, we appreciate that, OK, if, if we're not supporting, what are we doing? So um, got behind the team. Yeah, they've had a great run. Dom? Yeah, I think overall it's just pride at how well England did. I mean, to lose a penalty shootout is uh, feels, uh, as Aidan said, very raw because it's, it's a way which uh, we know England have gone out of tournaments a number of times before that way. But, but to take a team like Italy, who I think are probably... Um, slightly more evolved than, than we are at the moment, uh, all the way to extra time and to penalties is is no mean feat. M- maybe maybe the final is the one game of the tournament, of all of them, that, that you could maybe question the tactics that, that England used, but you're bound to question the tactics more when you play against good teams because that's that's why good teams are good they expose what you, what you're what you're worse at so overall it's it's I think it's more about the journey to the final than how the final went itself. Yeah. Were we confident going into it? I was confident that we wouldn't get uh, embarrassed. I think um, I predicted that it, that it <laughs> it's easy to say now, I predicted that it would be 1-1 and a penalty shootout, and that's exactly what happened. And if I was honest, I wasn't confident that we'd necessarily win the shootout. I know that England prepare for penalty shootouts you know, in a more stats-based way and, and, and much more comprehensively than all the other teams at the tournament, slightly because they've got the advantage of having the, the, the best and, and most well-paid analytics team, but also because, probably slightly because of the personal hurt that Gareth Southgate has experienced as a player himself. I think a couple of the journalists, um, you know, obviously club football hasn't returned now. So um, so the articles that are, that are appearing in our newspapers for the next few few days and weeks will, will still be about the England tournament and, uh, and and the final itself, and and some articles coming out now now two or three days after the final are starting to question whether actually Southgate maybe when it got to extra time played for penalties and, and thought that England weren't likely to nick it in extra time and didn't want to expose his team on the in, in defence. So maybe played for a shootout, knowing that his his team were really well prepared for it, and also knowing that Italy had already had a penalty shootout in this tournament, and actually the track record of teams who are facing a second penalty in the same tournament is horrifically bad. You know, most teams who who, who have won a shootout are very very likely to lose their second in the same tournament. So, yeah, maybe you could question the, the, the slightly negative approach there. It's a big gamble, and, and and as it as we all infamously know, it, it didn't pay off. But 
I was confident that England wouldn't be embarrassed and I was confident that, that they would take that they would go toe to toe with Italy but in the end it was just slightly exposed that England don't have that that extra midfielder that sort of Jorginho Pirlo type player who who does the simples right who who holds the ball and crucially keeps it England nicked the ball constantly but they weren't able to keep it and I think that's where the game was lost unfortunately yeah. I thought as as you mentioned there the the playing for penalties was was coming uh, as the game sort of evolved. And I can't help thinking that would have been Gareth Southgate's ultimate nightmare um, in the back of his mind, obviously, his own personal history. And then to it hadn't happened yet, but the scenario of, of penalties looming and the potential of of losing that penalty shootout, um, that it, it is what it is. Uh, but to score so quickly, uh, I got to admit, I didn't see that coming. Aidan, how did you feel when that went in? Well, first and foremost, I think Luke, no one deserved it more than Luke Shaw did. Yeah. Uh, with the tournament that he's had, it, it really capped it off, to be quite honest. I think it was quite unlucky, really, for him not to have been in the final tournament 11. I think he was just pipped to the post by Spinazzola, who also had a fantastic tournament. But yeah, no one deserves it more than Luke Shaw, um, especially the run he's been on over the last three or four years I was really delighted for him I can't say any of us really expected it to be quite honest but it was it was fantastic the only thing I would say is we seem to have a bit of a a bit of a thing about not being able to close the game out when we when we score early in these big games it was five minutes against Croatia in the semi-final when we scored and um, we struggled to get that second goal in the first half you have to capitalize when you're on top we didn't do that and the second half is always going to be very, very different momentum-wise and the opposition will, will grow into it. I think it was a sort of similar game to the Croatia game in that Italy have a bit more experience. Um, as Gareth likes to say, they're, they're a bit further along their journey than, than we are. And, and ultimately, I think when you, when you have those, those older players, that, that stamina, there's a certain confidence about it, which, which means that you're not desperate to get that first goal. You're, you're quite calm. All you need is, is five seconds of magic and, and you're back into it. And that's what we see from, from some of the uh, more experienced sides. And that's what we saw from Italy. It was obviously devastating knowing that that, 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 was, that was the case in the end, uh, that we couldn't hold it out. I don't think you can even defend, try, try and plan for that corner in training, that corner routine that Italy played. It was, it was ludicrous, really, the, the number of times it bobbled about in the penalty box. But yeah, scoring early was was fantastic. We just need to be able to to get that second goal while we're while we're controlling the game in these in these in these big occasions. I don't know where you were in the stadium, Matt, but um, yeah, seeing it from from my point of view, the the lower tier, it was, it was a shame that it was up the other end of the pitch. But uh, it was as, as I think I mentioned in the in the audio that I took, my heart was just just pumping. Um, I just genuinely didn't see it coming so early. Yeah, when I was in a uh, block 109, so I was uh, I was about row 39, so I was about two or three rows from the back. So I didn't get the best view of the goal, but obviously, you know, us going one nil up that quickly, and obviously from the other end, we didn't really. Appre- I don't think we really appreciate how good that finish was until we saw it on the big screen. It was an unreal finish, but I completely agree with what um, Dom and Aiden said. I mean, at one point, Dom brought up is that England do miss that midfielder with who can keep the ball for us. Um, one, when he raised that point, I, mean, I thought back to UA for Euro 2012 when we played Italy in the in the knockouts. Andrea Pirlo gave us a lesson 
in how you keep the ball in midfield. I mean, he just strolled around. He didn't break a sweat. And he, he you tell he wasn't tired because he had uh, the confidence to do that Penenka penalty as well in the shootout. So I think uh, Italy seemed to always have that midfielder against us so you could just keep the ball away and, um, you know, not let's get on to it. I mean, as it just showed as well, is that it seemed to me that bringing on Rashford and Sancho on in extra time, I thought it was a very weird decision. I think bringing Jack Grealish on as late as um, Southgate did was a weird decision because I don't think he really wanted, for some reason, he didn't want to take advantage of the two ageing um, Italy centre-backs in Chiellini and Benucci. Obviously, they're really talented players and Benucci snuffed Harry Kane out the game in the second half. Benucci didn't let him get a foot in. But then Italy had to come out to attack us anyway when they were 1-0 down. So, I thought Southgate would bring on some more flair players who could pop balls over the top to like to Sterling and Kane to run on to and hopefully, you know, put us in a comfortable position. So, yeah, again, it's turned out to be the same old story. Obviously, there's a lot of positives. We've gone from now semi-final of a major tournament to now a final, which, you know, it's great to see. But now we're all expecting now for the World Cup in Qatar because it's a very quick turnaround. We've not got this big two-year gap. It's about a year and a half. I think this England team's going to be very much, there's going to be very little change. So this same squad of players have, you know, they've broken that semi-final duck now. Now they've gone to the final, but now I think the Qatar, I think rightly so, the expectations will be a bit higher. It'll be like, you know, you got to the final now, you could surely do it again. But, and also I think it might help the England squad a lot more with it taking place in the middle of the club season. There's going to be a lot of players who will be all properly match fit and on a good run and form. They've had a proper rest as well after this crazy year and a bit we've had but no it was down to tactics in the end I think uh, Saka was just a bit too conservative he didn't seem to want to take advantage of Italy's insistence on him to come out and get the equaliser but no I agree with the points dominated and raised So does that mean you say there that the, the players are unlikely to change does that mean that Gareth needs to change and I don't mean him change as in change manager but his thought process, his mentality needs to just be tweaked, maybe with the assistance of, of someone. Uh, Dom? I think, um, you know, especially considering England lost that final, you, you're bound to to go back and look at the decisions which were made and, and ask whether they were the right ones or not. The brilliant thing when, when a team wins is that maybe even then there are, there are decisions which you can question, but you just don't tend to because the team's won and it's on to the next one. But... What I would say about the final is I, I think it's a mixture of decisions which Southgate and, and Steve Holland, because they make those decisions together, of course. Some of the decisions I think were unlucky not to have worked and some of them I do I do just think were, were, were perhaps bad decisions. I think the decision to bring Saka on on 63 minutes was under, was or around that time was understandable because he was going to run directly at the Italy back line in a way that no other of England's wide players were going to. I'd like to have seen Sancho because I think he's a slightly better and more accomplished player than Saka at the moment, but I don't think he was right for the game in the same way that, that maybe that Saka was from the bench. The thing is, the ball kept rebounding off Saka and he just didn't quite have, get into the game the way he would. Now, that can happen to anyone and, in, and unfortunately it happened in a final. But I think the, the decision to bring him on was, was was the right one. The decision to take on off Declan Rice meant that on came Jordan Henderson and actually then you had Henderson and Phillips who kind of offer the same sort of thing in midfield. And actually Rice is, is, is slightly better at nicking the ball and, uh, and turning over possession. I know that Phillips has done that a bit during this tournament, but he, he's slightly 
play slightly forward, as we knew in the first game against Croatia when he got the assist for Sterling. But actually, we, we know now that Declan Rice got a little bit of a knock, which is why he went off. I don't think he'd have come off otherwise. I think Henderson was always going to come on, but maybe would have come on for Phillips. Now, if Declan Rice had been able to stay on and, and Henderson came on for Phillips, I think England might have maybe found it found it easier to nick the ball through Rice and keep it through Henderson. As it happened, you had two midfielders on, Phillips and Henderson, who can keep the ball, but neither really who were her experts at getting it back. And that's why Italy's possession went up and up and up and up throughout that game. So, yes, I, th- I think England were risky to sort. I think it was about 40 minutes in, maybe five minutes before the break, that they started to sit back and, and stopped uh, sort of trying to, to attack and, and build meaningful, meaningful attacks. I think that was very early in the game. And we've seen from tournaments in the past, you know, as Aidan mentioned, that, that sitting back and deeper and deeper and trying to hold a one goal lead hasn't worked well for England. Um, and scoring for scoring early in big games, as Aidan mentioned as well, is you know can be a problem. England scored early against Brazil in in, in Japan and South Korea, and that didn't work in two thousand and two. They scored, um, they, I think they scored twice very early on against Portugal in the group stage of Euro two thousand and lost three uh, two. I think they, you know, and of course against Croatia in this slightly more modern England under Southgate, and that certainly didn't work. Uh, and here, and I think Italy are a better team than Croatia of 2018. So maybe there are more learnings from from that 2018 game than there are from this. You've got to call into question some of the decisions from Southgate and Holland. I do think it was a bit pragmatic, but I think actually, you know, it's all about risk and reward. Is it worth taking a few more risks and trying to go and take the game to Italy? Because you do then leave yourself exposed at the back. And England actually were counter-attacked by Italy quite a few times in that game while already being pragmatic. So if they'd been more risky, they would have been it would have been even easier for Italy to cut through them. And maybe it would have been 3-1, 4-1 on the counter. I think you can call into question some of it, but as I've mentioned with the injury to Rice and just Saka not quite getting into the game, a lot of this stuff is luck. When when you d- decide which player you're going to put onto the pitch, you don't know whether they're going to have a good game. And when you decide which player to pull off, Sometimes you have to change your mind because another of the players has got injured. That's just life. That's just football. And sadly, it didn't quite in that way run run for England on, on the night. So penalties came around, as we say, sort of inevitably we saw it coming. And we saw that Rashford and, and Sancho came on. And Aidan, do you agree with them coming on for the penalties? How did you feel when, when they missed them? Well... One thing I will say is Rashford can take penalties in his sleep. And, uh, mm. and I've seen Sancho take a few penalties for Dortmund and one in the Nations League uh, third place playoff against Switzerland, which went probably where he meant to go against Italy, uh, but couldn't quite find the corner. I was very confident seeing both of them get their get their white shirts on on the sidelines. I thought, yeah, we don't really have the penalty takers on at the moment. Declan Rice went off. He's West Ham's penalty taker. Mason Mount went off. He's a good taker. Trippier went off as well. So the, the way we started the game with the, with the first 11 didn't really lend itself to a shootout because a lot of those players were going to be brought off anyway. Jack Grealish, um, I think he last penalty he took was a few seasons ago. Sterling as well. He's not you know, a, a fantastic penalty taker, if we're, if we're being entirely honest. You don't just have to be an attacker to be able to take penalties. We saw that with Harry Maguire as well. Yeah, I was I was very happy to see some established takers coming on right near the end. Obviously, if you bring them on a bit earlier, there was a there was a lot of talk about them not. I, th- I don't even think Sancho got a touch before he before 
the final whistle and he had to take a penalty. So there was a lot of uh, stick going to Southgate for that. But I think if you bring them on any earlier, who was it we brought off? I think it was Henderson and Kyle Walker. Rashford plays at right back and Sancho plays in a, a deep midfield role. If you do that any earlier, we risk losing the game in the final minute. So I can kind of understand it. But yeah, with, in, in these kind of pressure situations, you, you can't you can't prepare for that. You can't prepare for these these situations in training, no matter how hard you try, how many psychologists look at it, how long your walk up from the centre circle is in training. You can't you can't practice for that. So um, I guarantee that Saka's penalty didn't go where he wanted it to go. Um, Sancho's as well. Obviously, Rashford's didn't. He's come out and said that even on the run up, he didn't feel right. He was waiting for the keeper a bit. And uh, that's not what Rashford usually does. I remember his penalty against Colombia. He lashed it and didn't even look up. So um, I think he was just a, a bit too um, thinking about the consequences before he'd even take it, to be quite honest. One of those things that we can quite easily criticise, but if one of those penalties goes in and uh, and we win the game on penalties or even in sudden death or anything like that, all of that goes out the window and we don't talk about that. Like Don was saying earlier, all of these things that you can pick up on, tactical things, whether it's, OK, England were a bit too pragmatic, well, we got to the final by being pragmatic. That's the way we play now. We play by keeping the ball. I don't think we kept the ball against Italy. That was the issue, is we defend on the ball now. We defend by keeping the ball far away from the opposition. Like we saw an extra time against Denmark, we weren't able to do that against Italy because they're a possession-based team as well. And they certainly struggled when, when Spain had the ball in the semi-final. So they knew that the only game, the only way they were going to win was by having the ball. So that was the kind of challenge was you've got two teams that play possession-based football neither neither team is really well versed in in counter-attacking of late and and that's that's kind of why we struggled I don't really buy the argument that we were playing for penalties to be quite honest with you I think we would have gone gone for it a bit more in extra time had we been able to to keep the ball and be a bit more be a bit more savvy there were just too many times where we we nicked the ball and we were trying to chip it over a defender or or, or play a little intricate little two-touch thing when, when actually what we need to do is just just calm down, settle, play it back to the centre-backs, play it back to the keeper, whatever, start again and um, do all those basics that we've been doing throughout the tournament. We couldn't do that and that's why it went to penalties. In penalties, you kind of forget any momentum you've had in the tournament, in the game. It's just down to who can own the moment and, um, and I think Italy owned the moment and I don't think anyone would really argue with that. It came down to to Bakayo Saka, who I I really felt for. Nineteen years old to to have that pressure on him in a, a European final, watched by a world audience, and yeah, really felt for him. And and sadly, I think we've we've got to bring it up just the the consequences that they have received that Saka, Rashford, Sancho. Um, in this this modern world that we live in, is is just disgraceful. Um, you've obviously all seen it, Matt. How do you feel about it? Which seems a ridiculous question, bit, really. Yeah, I, I, I felt a bit. Um, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Sick about it. To be honest. I, but I think the day as a whole, I I think it's reflected a lot of England. But that final felt different for all the wrong reasons. I mean, just to quickly go through the day, I arrived at Wembley at about uh, half 10, just to get up to the Green Man, just to get a table at the Green Man. Mm-hmm. But um, 
already Wembley Way was a lot bigger than it was for even the Denmark game. And that was a big semi-final. That was a big night. But arrived at Wembley at half 10 and already I was... We'll go, oh, we're glad we got here early. But again, we were at Liverpool Street before and there was already a mob of 20 who had... You could tell they got tickets. They're there just to cause trouble. They were wolf whistling people as they went past. They were wolf whistling women as they went past. And we were like, right, let's just get out of here. Let's get to the stadium. And at the... Green Man, it was all ticket holders. There was no problems. Everyone was there. Everyone had a good time. It was we all meeting up. You know, we've been seeing each other regularly for the past uh, month or so. So it's more just, you know, just had a few drinks, have a general chit-chat. And then we made our way down to Wembley Way to get in. And it was very, like, a bit scared just to get in. Luckily, we got through. The COVID checks all okay. But um, we did have people try and get in with us and um, one of the mates had someone try and get on the back of him and he managed to get away from him but we saw people running in and then just after the game it's well, as soon as they missed it you knew it's just, it's really sad now whenever a player of colour misses a penalty or makes a big mistake in a game it's bad that I'm thinking about the um, it's bad thinking about the consequences not about the football you know I should be worried about the penalty and go oh you know, he's 19, he will come again, he will make that redemption. And he's already had a great Euro so far, he's made himself a proper, well, he's already become, made himself a shit like England team, but sadly it's having to jump to their support and it's just, they're not England fans are doing it, but unfortunately now, it's all I'm going to say the minority are doing it, it's slowly getting bigger that number and it's just a disgrace, downright disgrace. It's just people jump on the bandwagon at the end of the day, because I guarantee those people won't be interested when England are playing Andorra at home in September. Like, simple as that. Yeah, what I'd say on that is that they're not fans. They're not true England fans. And Harry Kane, the England captain, has said since that that, that very point, that they're not fans and we don't want you. There's a horrible... I'm, I'm actually writing an article about this very subject for englandfootball.org at the moment. And I've made the point that it's a horrible hypocrisy that, that actually the these so-called supporters follow the or support these players and follow them but there's a condition and the condition is that they're adding to England that they're performing for England once they are in in their views taking away from England they're no longer part of England they're no longer English suddenly then their race their their heritage comes into it this is a 19 year old man this this is a 19 year old person who's got who's got GCSEs, earned them in England, lives in England, was born in England. Not that that should even matter because Raheem Sterling wasn't born in England. You know, they're they're supporting these players, but it's contingent on them performing for England. Harry Kane doesn't have that pressure. Jordan Henderson doesn't have that pressure. It's just ridiculous double standards. It's, It's a disgusting hypocrisy. It is a minority of supporters. It's a minority of supporters that made Leicester Square look like a bomb site. Um, you know, uh, in a far-flung country elsewhere in, uh, you know, in in the in the world, but it's an even smaller minority that racially abuse their own players. But it is still a group of people who do it, who claim to support England, and England is a place now where there are lots of different people from lots of different experiences and lots of different backgrounds. That's just life. These people deserve to play for England as much as anyone else. They missed a penalty. They'll they'll hope not to miss their next one. That's all that happened. People need to get it in perspective. I felt you know very gutted the following morning that England have got, were out of the Euros and had lost at such a crucial stage of the tournament in, in the final. 
and I still feel that way now. But I don't think some things should be should be called into question like that. And it's a it's a it's a disgusting thought that that was the first thing that came to some people's minds. It's uh it's utterly deplorable. Those are not supporters of England. They don't represent us. I do. Yeah, I think look, there, there, there's many things in football that that England players get criticised for. You you can get criticised for being an unfashionable player, um, or, or or even something as stupid as playing in the same position as Jack Grealish and keeping him out of the starting lineup. You can even get criticism for that. But getting criticism for being who you are it, it is ridiculous. It, 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 there's no place for that in the game. I, I guarantee, just as Matt said, that that these people are, are just jumping on the bandwagon. Some of them might not even believe these things, but they're just angry and they're lashing out in the wrong way. It, it's There's no place for it at all. And um, I can't quite believe that we're even having this conversation because... We absolutely should not be, especially after the run that these guys have had, after what they've given us this summer. Pure joy for, for, the, for the majority of it. And, you know, you can even criticise the order of penalty takers, if you like. I, I'm not someone who will do that. I guarantee that Southgate is the most knowledgeable about, you know, how good his penalty takers are. They've done it in training after every single session. I think he probably knows more than, more than us, whether Saka's better than Grealish, whether Saka's better than Sterling. Age doesn't really come into it. If they're good enough, they take the penalty. But to then, you know, you know, Donnarumma goes the other way. Saka scores. It may not have been the best placement, but it goes in. And suddenly he's a hero at 19. Uh, it's so reactionary. And, um, and that's something I definitely hate about the game and about social media in particular. We've got to be so careful these days because there's such a fine line between being a hero for your team and, and letting your side down. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, these people on social media, they're, let, they're letting themselves down and they're letting the country down because there'll be people from all over the world, world seeing these comments. And uh, it's not painting us in a very good light at the moment. Yeah, couldn't agree more. We've only got, what, I think we've got 10 minutes left to chat. And there's, there's obviously so many things that, that we'd love to chat about. But let's, let's go more positive. Of course, there's so many great moments throughout this tournament. Um, just off the top of my head, there was the... The opening ceremony, there was some well, some fantastic goals. You only have to look back at that Denmark-Russia game. There was the De Bruyne goal. I think that was against Belgium, I think. There was Ronaldo telling us to drink water. Um, there was the fans' warmth to Christian Eriksen. There was some own goals. There was a fair few of those. The uh, the Spain-Croatia one springs to mind. Let's talk. Let's talk positive. What what has sort of stood out for you in in the tournament? Let's go, Dom. There's so many highlights, I don't know what to pick. I think a lot of people were concerned that it wasn't going to be a tournament of high quality. It wasn't going to be a tournament of good matches, interesting matches, good goals, because of how long these players have been playing in a, in a COVID season, which was you know drawn out at both ends. Kyle Walker said in a, in a recent interview, I feel like I, you know I've been playing every three days effectively since November. That isn't good for anyone. That 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 isn't good for you know, it's, it's important to be getting game time in order to play to play best football, but not being drowned by football. There's a fine line there. From an England perspective, I wouldn't actually say the Germany game. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not of an age who, uh, of a fan who feels scarred by the history of England, Germany. I'm fully aware of it. And I know that for a certain age of, uh, of supporter, that is a really scarring one. But, um, you know, like a lot of the players, I think they they just saw it as a as a 
match against a major nation and a match that if they got tactically right, they could win. And I think the highlight for, for me, you know, the Ukraine match, England were ahead after four minutes. It was a, it was a thoroughly enjoyable watch. They, they didn't look in jeopardy or in trouble at any moment in the entire match. But I think Denmark is the highlight because that was that was a, a psychological barrier to, to cross um, for all Englands, including this England. Um, th- this England haven't lost to Germany in a tournament, but they have gone out to Croatia at a semi-final stage. England haven't made a final, as we all painstakingly know, since um, 1966. So to get past that barrier of, of Denmark, and this was a good Denmark, don't look at how many tournaments they've won if you're going to, you know, if by, by judging how good they are, look at their results. They, they'd lost, I think they'd lost three times to Belgium in the last two years. And that was the only defeats they'd had. So they're, they're a very good team. And England needed extra time to do it. Of course, they went behind for the only match of the entire tournament. But they had the legs. They looked the only team that were, that were really pushing to win. And I know that Denmark had a few injuries, but they looked shattered. And actually their substitutions, 65 minutes in, only made them look more tired. England tired, you know, tired that team down. They they. They weathered the storm in the first half. They they got back level thanks to Bakayo Saka. I thought a lot of fans have forgotten that, by the way. And then they took the game to Denmark and, and won the match and, and reached a final. And I think watching the the players singing "Sweet Caroline," quite questionable song choice, you know, for, by a guy from Brooklyn, New York. But um, you know, it's a good song, and uh, it was a good it was a good moment. So uh, that's got to be the highlight because. Um, England reaching a final. I think I think we were turning around and pin, and pinching ourselves, weren't we? Looking at the person next to us and thinking, "Gosh, I, I can't believe this," you know. And then we could only dream of what would happen in the final. So definitely the Denmark match for me. Um, in terms of highlight, um, in terms of England, I've got to say it's going to be the first game of the whole journey was the Croatia game on that baking hot Sunday. It was like thirty degrees or something because it was the first England game I'd been to. I didn't get up to the Middlesbrough. Um, warm-up matches so Croatia was my first game of the tournament this well since Covid and um, it was just great seeing everyone again I think we're all the same boat the group that I often go travelling with it was like seeing old friends again we haven't seen each other for nearly a year and a half or so so yeah that Croatia game was great and we were all sat together as well and when that Sterling goal went in I don't think uh, any of us had jumped around or as to use the Trendy word now. We've not done uh, limbs like that for quite a long time. So yeah, I'm going to say my heart was definitely uh, the crash game. Just seeing everyone again, and uh, yeah, perfect way to start a journey. Baking hot sunshine, proper tournament weather. It was just a great start to what has been a hell of a roller coaster. And Aiden, similar to what Matt was saying there, I kind of measure how elated I am by by how nervous I was before the game, and the Croatia game was certainly the most nervous I was for the for the tournament because it was the first game. You really don't know how it's going to go after a semi-final. You could just completely bomb out in a group which, you know, could have potentially been dangerous. It wasn't, thankfully. But for me, one of the one of the best things about the tournament was going into it, the number of teams, uh, there must have been about eight or nine teams that were actually contenders. And there was not a clear favourite or a clear two or three favourites. And that's what I loved. I, I've been watching tournaments and been fully invested in the lead-up to tournaments for years now. And... Uh, I don't think we've ever had a tournament quite like that where it's been so wide open. And so that that added to the entertainment factor, uh, definitely. In terms of England games, I mean, I, I couldn't really pick one out for you. Uh, what I will say, though, is um, something that I mentioned in one of my match reports for uh, threelines.net 
which was um, the fact that we're getting better at doing tournaments now, whatever the hell that means. We're, we're, you know, we don't score six, seven, eight goals in the group stage and then go out 2-0 in the second round. You know, we're, we save our, the best side of ourselves for later on. I remember watching uh, the 2012 Euros and um, Spain drew their first game against Italy. They were fully expected to win. But then from there on, they uh, kept clean sheets in the rest of their games, got two 4-0 victories, two 2-0 victories, I think it was, in, in, in these knockout stages to be able to thrash teams like that, like we did against Ukraine as well. That's very pleasing. You know, if you'd have asked me, you know, if you'd have told me that we're going to have a 4-0 victory and asked me where I'd want it, I probably wouldn't have said the group stage. I'd, I'd have loved it to be in a knockout game, to be quite honest, because that's the kind of thing that England aren't typically known for. And so that was something that really, um, really entertained me. And it, it's a change. It's a, it's a shift uh, from where we where we usually are coming out of tournaments. And um, it's very pleasing. Yeah, I think we are. We're running short of time. So let's just just wrap it up with, I mean, just England and where we go from here. Let's, let's go back with you, Aidan. Yeah, well, looking ahead in 18 months time, um, it's like Matt was saying earlier, I think the team's not going to change too much. There will only be a few omissions from this squad. Um, obviously, it will be down to 23 again, I would assume, from the from the 26 that we've had this time around. Not many changes, I wouldn't say. I, I can I can pinpoint a few of the youth players coming through who I could I could see breaking through into the senior team. Uh, we'll have to see how they respond to that. Obviously, qualifiers until the end of the calendar year. We should really be going for for maximum points in the group having got three three wins out of three so far on the board I'd like us to to win the remaining games that would be that would be good but as we know it's not all about qualifying we seem to be a very good side at qualifying and uh, only recently have we been able to transfer that into tournaments so um, it doesn't really mean a lot to be quite honest with you Um, a draw against Hungary a draw against Poland it's not the end of the world we'll learn a lot from it and um, You'd far rather get those wins in the tournaments, wouldn't you? Um, so it's not a big deal, but um, I'm, p- I'm pleased that we don't have to wait another three years this time around. I can I can certainly say that. Do you know, I think I said, did I say De Bruyne's goal against Belgium, which clearly makes no sense. I can't even remember who he did score that against now. Dom, go on, looking forward. I think it was against Denmark. I, I wish one of our players could have done that. Yeah. Um, we got past him in the end. Um yeah, I think look, looking forward with England. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Aidan. It's a it's a group um, for qualifying for Qatar that you'd, you'd hope England would get very close to maximum points from. They've beaten Poland now. They've got one more match against Poland and two against Hungary, who we know from the group of death at these Euros are, are a decent outfit. But other than that, the teams are very much there for the taking. I mean, Andorra and San Marino, gosh, if, if they are going to cause us problems, are. You know, t- take me take me away from the England team for a while. You know, give give me give, give your head a wobble. You know, if, if that's problematic, I don't think it will be. But yeah, but between now and uh, the Qatar World Cup, which you'd expect England will qualify, it's basically just finishing qualification for and, and getting that place secure, and then the uh, the group stage of, of of the next Nations League campaign. These Nations Leagues now, if you you know, they happen during the club season, of course, which isn't true for 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 a Euros or a World Cup. And I know that the next World Cups are in the uh, in in the winter, but but you know, generally the Nations League happens in uh, at moments where the Premier League season and the Champions League are in full throttle. If you can get those right, then 
you get through to the finals, you know, with the final four teams. And, and I'd, I'd love to see England back there. That They're not going to be one of the seeded teams in, in their in their next Nations League campaign because they didn't reach the finals of, of this this one. Because of course they uh, they they came below both Belgium and Denmark this time. But yeah, I'd like to see England win their group in the in qualifying and win their group in the Nations League. But but more importantly than that, and even more importantly than whether or not Southgate signs a new contract extension for 2024. Now, I think the most important thing is that is that the way that the England players interact with each other now. Tyrone Mings and Connor Cody are from Aston Villa and Wolves, but they formed a friendship on international duty that will probably last them until they die now. Bakayo Saka is loved by every single member of that squad. Luke Shaw from Manchester United sets, uh, of course, talking about an Arsenal player, said, I feel like his father. I just wish he was my child. I mean, these are friendships that that wouldn't have been formed in previous England teams. And that will, you know, that kind of stuff off the pitch will translate into, into positive results on the pitch. England have won more knockout matches under Southgate than under any other manager now. And he's only been manager for five years. So, yeah, the, the signs are good. The players are very, very good. And... Um, you know, on they go. Let's hope for more. Semi-final, final. Let's get one step closer now. Oh, wouldn't be good. Go on, Matt. Go on then. Let's round, round it up. Your, um, how do you see it going then? All I want is come uh, December next year, I'm coming back from uh, Qatar with that World Cup in the luggage, in the luggage old, simple as that. <laughs> but no, it's a very exciting time. Um, we're lucky I'm going to wait that long for the next tournament. I expect us to qualify for the World Cup with flying colours. The Nations League will serve as a good warm-up and will put us in good sell, I think, for the World Cup because it's a bigger tournament um, in 2022 with more teams involved. So hopefully that means the quality could hopefully go up. I mean, I'm not too uh, optimistic. Every time the tournaments get bigger, sometimes the quality can, uh, can go down a bit. But no, it should be a exciting 18 months or so. But I just hope come December... I'm, I'm arriving back in just before Christmas, just having watched hopefully history made in the desert, but there's a long way to go just yet. Absolutely. I mean, we've all mentioned the Nations League there and it only occurred to me earlier, I, I tweeted it out, for international football fans uh, listening, the, the Nations League final is actually Italy, Spain, Belgium, France, um, which which is just a, uh, it's a shame obviously not to be part of it, but from just watching football in general is uh, it's a couple of great matchups. Guys, thank you very much for joining me uh, this time, and and indeed for for joining me throughout the the episodes on the uh, on the Three Lions podcast. I've, I've enjoyed it, and I hope you have too. Sadly, it didn't end the way we wanted it to. Let's let's hope going forward we can we can all stay in touch. Uh, I look forward to welcoming you back on the podcast, even if it is just talking about Andorra and San Marino. Um, but uh, yeah, just quickly plug your uh, your social medias, Matt. Yes, on Twitter, I'm uh, Asprey Matt, and also my uh, website that I write on is uh, mattasprysport.wordpress.com. I'm currently writing a bit of a review of England's tournament as a whole from a fan's perspective, so that's currently uh, in the pipeline. But, yep, hopefully once the travel ban lifts, we're going to be back with or with uh, edgy iPhone photographs from Hungary and Poland, hopefully, in the next few uh, next few months. Dom? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Mr. Dom Smith. And um, also the website, of course, where you can follow England with uh, with interviews and, and regular feature articles, englandfootball.org. And finally, Aidan. Yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Aidan27Smith. And uh, you can also find my website, threelions.net as well, 
for uh, regular features and match reports as well. Great stuff, guys. Keep it all keep it all going, and uh, yeah, let's let's speak again soon. Thanks very much. Lovely. Thanks. Thank Thanks. Hi, Sam Farley here. Ultimately, I'm so proud of this group of players, this manager and everything they've kind of done on and off, off the pitch. But when I woke up on Monday morning, I was disappointed, not by the result, but disappointed and embarrassed by kind of what happened in that hour or two before the game with people kind of breaching the stadium. It felt incredibly unsafe. Uh, we're incredibly lucky there wasn't anybody kind of more sinister trying to get in. And ultimately, I just feel embarrassed that Yet again, we're being dragged through the mud thanks to thanks to the actions of a few. But future's bright. Hopefully these people won't be there and hungry away. Uh, let's move on. Come on, England. So there is a loss in the final penalties. Gutted, but still proud of the guys for what they've done. Um, it's, they could have done more. Did well to nullify Italy. Just the fact we couldn't see it out was gutting. The two Harrys took their penalties well. Just didn't quite work for the other three. But uh, I'm proud but gutted. That's the best way to sum it up. There we are. 55 years on, the dream is yet to be fulfilled. Jules Rimet continues to gleam. Was this our best chance? Home advantage and all that? I don't think that there was undue pressure or expectation of going this far. Obviously we all wanted to. Perhaps the way it just ended, all on a bit of a sour note, is definitely something to be learnt from. Penalties, either by Gareth and the team. The FA... UEFA, ourselves, the fans, or the way you may behave. Please, if that was you, forcing your way in, or you expressed racial slurs, then please, for humanity's sake, take yourself away, educate yourself, talk to someone. Although I think I'd be disappointed if that applied to you and you were listening to this. But you never know. Thanks for the last month, Gareth and the boys. It's been one we will all remember. Some great memories. World Cup qualifiers return in September and Dora at home. This is an opportunity for some supporters who have enjoyed the tournament from home and want to experience watching England for real. This is a good chance to start your journey. Who knows where it may take you. Thank you to Dom Smith, Matt Astbury and Aidan Smith for joining me this time. And indeed, over the past eight episodes that covered the tournament, you can find them all on social media with their great coverage. Thank you for listening, and especially if you've tuned in to some of the previous episodes. I hope you've enjoyed them. And if you've taken the time to send in your reviews, thank you. Wouldn't have been the same without you. It's been a great addition. All previous episodes are available for you to listen to at 3lionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. I'm going to be talking to a few people about their England experiences for some future episodes. They'll be coming soon. But if it's all right with you, 
I think I'm going to have a little rest. I'm going to go camping. Or I'm going to do some jobs that I should have started or finished over the past month. Or six weeks, if you include those Middlesbrough games. So perhaps I'll, uh, perhaps I'll be back with you early August. And I hope you can join me then. So until then, look after yourselves. Take care. Cheers. Yeah.